0: Well, we are now embarking um, on this second Sunday of Advent, a little further into the Advent season. Uh, it is a season of waiting. That was our big theme last week. Wait, 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 wait. That's hard to do. Waiting is hard. Uh, but it's a season of waiting, of, of growing in our longing, our desire for God. It is a season uh, of anticipation. And yes, it is meant to be just a little bit like... A little kid looking at a present under the Christmas tree and having to wait a whole month to open it. It's sort of like getting a flashlight, but then having to wait till after the service to shine it everywhere you want to shine it. It is meant to be like that a growing desire in our own lives for God. We have so many desires. So many hopes, so many dreams, so many things that we give time and energy and attention to. But Advent is specifically for growing our capacity for desiring God. And we don't have to do that on our own. We had a long list of folks from Israel's past who can help us understand how to do that better. Remember, we looked at Zechariah, the priest who goes into the Holy of Holies and is told by God in that place that he and Elizabeth, his wife, will have a son. He says, how is this going to happen? We are older in years and God causes him to be unable to speak until his son is born, John. And so like Zechariah, we can, we can learn to wait in faith and yes, even in silence. Like Elizabeth, Zechariah's wife and John's mother, we can wait with wonder and awe like she did when Mary came to her. And also pregnant with Jesus, caused John to leap in her own womb. And who said, who am I that the mother of my Lord should come to me? We can learn to wait. Uh, Like Simeon, who waited at the temple, who waited his whole life long. Could you wait that long? And yet, who was promised by the Lord that he would not see death until he met the Messiah. And so meeting Christ says that he can now depart in peace. Maybe we can wait like Simeon or like Anna, who also at the temple was praying day and night. We can wait prayerfully as we journey through Advent. We can wait ultimately like Mary, the mother of our Lord, uh, emblem or symbol of the church who waits in humility and waits in obedience and eager service to God, who waits most of all with love for the one who is born of her. So in this way, you know, Jesus' first coming helps us to understand uh, how to wait for his second coming and for all those little moments throughout the day when Christ is making all of these little Advent journeys to you. Helps us to recognize those and to see them as they are as we wait in all of these ways. But there's one more person, one more person that is given to us in Scripture whose specific task, And the economy of God's plan of salvation was to prepare people to receive Jesus. And we turn to him nearly every Advent. Do you remember? Do you know who this is? Who is it whose job is to prepare the way of the Lord? John the Baptist. So I invite you to listen carefully and listen well to Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Verses 1 through 12, rather. Uh, For this, too, is the word of the Lord. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan confessing their sins but when he saw many of the pharisees and sadducees coming for baptism he said to them you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come bear fruit in keeping with repentance and do not presume to say to yourselves we have abraham as our father for i tell you god is able from these stones to raise up children for abraham and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be, Thanks be to God. Um, if, if your last week was, was anything like mine, um, maybe at your house you, you put up a tree uh, or, or put some lights around it or began to hang Christmas ornaments on it. Maybe... Uh, maybe if your last week was like mine, you hung stockings by the chimney with care and hopes, well, you know, um, or we just hang it on the bookcase because that's the best we've got. Uh, maybe if your week was like mine, you, you made a trip to Walmart and bought some Christmas presents and and toys. Um, anybody do any of those things? Yeah, okay. And then uh, Sunday rolled around and... and You came to church. Came to worship. Second Sunday of Advent. God bless you. And then, halfway through the sermon, or halfway through the service, rather, um, a wild man suddenly appeared in uh, long, dirty fingernails, uh, camel's hair shirt, Mm. itching and stinking its way into your senses. uh, And... Well, his name's John the Baptist, right? And uh, with a wild look in his eye, he then tightens his leather belt just a little tighter and gulps down a handful of locust seeds, sticky as they are with honey. And then he leads us out of the familiar rhythms and um, whispers in your ear, uh, welcome to the wilderness, which seems odd, and then shouts loud enough for everyone to hear, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And if you're like me, you're tempted to begin slowly backing away in the face of this wild one. Uh, I'm tempted a little bit to retreat, to pull back, to go back to the cheery mall music, you know, and and the numbing reality of consumerism. The dopamine feel-good sensation of a temporary purchase. And the sweet stockings hung by the chimney with care. Uh, Tempted maybe to kind of start humming to myself to drown out John. You know, sleigh bells ring, snow is glistening. But then John brings me back in again with that word. That one word... Repent. Repent. Turn around is what it means. Uh, get off the path that leads to the soul-deadening life of consumeristic, manipulative nostalgia. And deal with deal with God, this advent. Because that's really who we want. That's really who we need. We're in a season that sells us all kinds of things. And yet who we really truly desire above all else, who we really truly need above anything else is the gift who comes to us in Jesus Christ. That's who we really need. And so maybe, maybe John, the crazy guy, is exactly who we need to meet this Advent season. Maybe it's exactly who I need to be confronted by As I go through all my wonderful and and, and fun and joyous and meaningful traditions. But also needing to deal with the most important thing. Maybe John's the one who comes to you and reminds you of that too. And actually everything, we're not told uh, that much about John. A uh, short paragraph here, a couple more, and then he sort of recedes into the story of Christ, uh, which is as it should be. But actually, everything we're told about John, the details that we find about him, are all meaningful. The fact that he wears a, a, a camel hair shirt is intentional. It connects, him to John, uh, connects John the Baptist to Elijah, in the old testament but it also helps us to see that his life is not going to be deadened by comfort he's not going to be lulled to sleep by always being comfortable are you like 99 percent of the time probably pretty comfortable like i have heated seats in my vehicle right like i don't even get in the car and like my seat isn't even cold my seat is I am constantly driven to pursue my own comfort. But John is not that person. John is going to call us to something else. John, wears, what did he have around his waist? A leather belt around his waist. I'm going to tell you what that means in just a minute. But it is a significant detail. John the Baptist meets us. In the wilderness, and maybe that is the word that gathers up all the details about John into kind of one meaningful picture. He meets it. Actually, he calls us into the wilderness, into the wild place. Uh, a wilderness is is harsh. Yes, it is. Uh, especially the wilderness in which John uh, was resident um, is is barren. It's a barren place. Rocks and sand and few trees and little life is a place marked by scarcity and not abundance. It does not look like Walmart, right, where I was, you know, a couple days ago. I don't get to Walmart very much, and I was blown away. There was, I mean, after walking the toy aisle, which was, you know, really wonderful, I made it to the marketplace section on the other side of the store, and there was food everywhere and all these little treats that I wanted to take home with me and some of which I did I'll admit (laughs) right but but the wilderness is not that place of abundance where every imaginal thing is just available to you the wilderness is marked by scarcity and there's value in that because it immediately allows you to focus on what is essential rather than peripheral or unimportant or a distraction The wilderness calls you to see what is essential. When I had the wonderful joy of going to Israel last year, we we went over into the wilderness area where John was. We saw some of the caves where perhaps he and some of his disciples uh, lived. Uh, And it reminded us in those moments as we were by the River Jordan, as we saw just the barren landscape around it, of two things that we learned Immediately upon getting off the plane and onto the bus, uh, our guide said, if you want to understand, have a framework for understanding everything that you encounter while you are here, I want you to remember two things. Everything you see and encounter will have an immediate relationship to water and security. Every single place that you encounter will have been built up and marked around those two elements. Water. Water. There was water there. Water is essential for life. Security. Protection. Every, I mean, um, so Jericho is near to the uh, Jordan River. uh, And it is surrounded by sand. Uh, It looks like all the pictures you saw as a kid, right? Where it's just like, you know, sand walls, rock walls, whatever. But inside that area, there is a spring. The spring of Jericho. That's why walls were built around it. Water and security, the essential things. John actually calls us into the wilderness so that we can see what is really essential, and that is God. He wants to introduce you this Advent season to Jesus. And perhaps we need to be pulled out just a little bit into a place where we recognize the essential nature of who God is in our lives to really see Him and receive Him. There's a long history of people encountering God in the wilderness Israel, for example, uh, after they were set free from bondage in Egypt, traveled through the wilderness to get to the land of promise. You might remember what they said like a day or two into the journey, experiencing freedom for the first time, but also hunger. They said, did you just lead us out here to die by starving? Oh, that we could go back to our bonds, back to our slavery, and just have our bellies full. There's always the temptation to go back, just like I was sort of stepping back to the mall music and the stockings hung by the chimney with care. There's always that pull. But if we want to really encounter God as he provides for us, which is what Israel learned, as he fed them day and night, as they learned that he truly loved them and that he would provide for them and get them where they needed to go, we must make that journey. You must voyage um, out into the wilderness. Eventually, they come to the land of promise, actually a land of abundance flowing with milk and honey. But they're able to rightly receive that appropriately now, returning thanks always to God. Israel makes that journey through the wilderness. Jesus does after he's baptized in the Jordan. Immediately, Mark says, he was driven by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted. How did the devil tempt him? Jesus had been fasting. Fasting. He was hungry. He had desire. The devil said, you don't really need to be hungry. Why don't you turn those stones into bread? Be full. Live out of abundance. Don't go through these passages in order that you might encounter difficulty and learn trust. Jesus does. John's there. Elijah's there. The prophets are there in the wilderness. Monastics fled to the wilderness for centuries, the deserts of Egypt and of Sinai, to live struggling, wrestling with themselves and with God. In fact, one of the things that we learn, um, that I've learned from some of those folks who ventured into the wilderness, was how to understand uh, what John looked like. They, They were living in the same tradition as John, living out in the wilderness, in the desert. And the the, uh, classical teaching and also the the biblical one as picked up and taught by the church fathers says that your soul has three parts to it, three aspects to your soul. Two of them are subject to what we call the passions. One of them is meant to govern over the passions. So the two aspects of your soul that we could call passionate uh, or shaped by desire of some Sense are uh, the appetitive aspect of your soul. It sounds like appetite, right? It's the desiring part of you. It's the part that wants to take things in and consume them. There's also the incensive power or incensive aspect of your soul. It is insen- if someone is incensed, what are they? They're angry. It's that aspect of your soul that pushes things away. doesn't draw them in, but pushes back. Each of these aspects of your soul can be used in accordance with how God has made them. In your desire for God, you can pursue him and seek to receive him. Uh, Or there's all kinds of manners, uh, all kinds of ways in which our desire can be shifted, bent, manipulated, turned, twisted, become distorted. Things that we desire and pursue that aren't in keeping with how God has made us to be. In the same way, your anger can be turned against your own sin. Um, uh, There's a line in the Psalms that says, uh, be angry and do not sin. There's a sense in which your anger can be turned against the passionate aspect of who you are so that you can push it away, so it can be far from you. But there's also plenty of instances where our anger becomes destructive and is aimed at other people, right? Right? You see how those are passionate or uh, aspects of our soul that are subject to sin. And the third element is the, the rational aspect of your soul, which isn't just reason, but it's connected to it. And it actually has to do with um, the eyes of your heart, uh, which are made to be connected and to see God and to understand his will, and so govern the passions. Recognize when your desire is in keeping with God's will or when it's distorted or when your anger is being helpful uh to 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 quell the passionate side of you or when it is being inflamed in such a way that brings havoc and destruction into the world so those are the three aspects of the soul the passionate aspects of your soul are connected symbolically by all the folks who talk about this with your stomach with your gut kind of makes sense when you're hungry what do you do you eat something, your appetite grows and you take it into yourself and your appetite is for a moment at least satiated. When you're angry, do you ever get a bitter, tense feeling in your gut and direct that outward in some way? Does that ever happen to you? Okay. These elements were associated with your desire, with your stomach, with your appetite. And what What, uh, remind me, what was John wearing uh, around his waist? A leather belt. belt. (laughs) And everyone that I know about who writes from the early church about John's belt says that in the wilderness you learn, because it's this place of scarcity where you learn what is essential, the wilderness is the place where you learn to control your passions, your desires, and to orient them rightly. There's an instructive element to being in the wilderness, not in the place of abundance all the time where you just eat and feast and take in and follow your desires here, there, and everywhere. It's like the internet, right? No, the wilderness is a place of fasting, of pulling back, of stepping away, of tightening your belt just a little bit to to have a sense of control over these things. It's the place where your rational self has enough distance from all the advertisements to be able to understand what do I most need? But most of all, John welcomes us into the wilderness because that's where we meet Jesus. In those days, John was baptizing in the wilderness of Judea, the River Jordan. And in those same days, Jesus came from the region of Galilee to be baptized in the Jordan by John. And John looks at him, and he sees him, and he points to him, and he says, to everyone who will hear, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And from that point forward, John begins to recede in the story. And Jesus takes center stage. And what do we see Jesus doing? When we meet Christ in the wilderness, at the River Jordan, at the waters of baptism, it's like a story of your life. When we meet Jesus there, immediately he's driven into the wilderness for you, actually. And he is tempted and he does not sin for you. And then he returns and he begins to bless the world and to touch the sick and to heal the lame for you. Because you too are sick and lame and need his healing And he begins to teach about god's will and what the king shows what the kingdom looks like both in word but also in deed and he lives that out and he demonstrates it and he brings king the kingdom of god to earth for you and his faithfulness in fact you could say that jesus himself lives a life of repentance it's the word john invites us to repent because Jesus constantly, everywhere, and in all places, in all circumstances, and at every moment is turned towards God. He's always turned towards God. Never distract, never pulled away into the dead ends that we all get pulled away into. But He remains faithful and true on this straight way. And His life brings fruit. Indeed, He is so faithful in this life of turning towards God, in love and people towards love and the world towards love, that it leads him to a cross, a cross which he, he rests upon, but also a cross which, though it be dead and Christ upon it died, also with his resurrection brings fruit and brings life, a dead and wooden cross and tree, which because of Jesus brings life to the world and life to you and me. Jesus bears fruit in keeping with repentance. Jesus practices what He preaches. He lives it out. He demonstrates it in a way that no other person does or can. And He does it for you. And so in some sense, you are called to a life of repentance. And at the same time, Jesus has completed it on your behalf. So the repentant wilderness journey really is the place where you get to be with Him and see Him at work in your life and in the world. It's how you turn towards Christ. Maybe we need that in addition to the checkout that we make at Walmart. I hope that you can see why we need to go to the wilderness where we meet Christ it's where we learn to shed ourselves of the false ideas of who we are it's how we set aside our sin and tighten our belts and learn to offer our passions up to God who alone can do something with them Uh, it's it's the place where we go and meet Jesus and see his kingdom grow we need to go there because eventually like Christ comes back we come back into the world and we're able to shine a light because of those batteries that God has placed in our hearts by His Spirit. And Jesus, who ignites us, can now shine brightly in a darkened world who, who all desire the Lord, but keep looking just as we have in all the wrong places for Him. So yeah, we need John, that wild man, who actually, the more time we, we spend with him, looks increasingly sane. And not only sane, but begins to look beautiful and holy and true. And John wants nothing more this Advent season than to introduce you to Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The only question is, will you let him?